I got to tell you, this is one of my favorite Sundays of the year. Anybody else like me, favorite Sunday of the year? I just Because you got some extra sleep. Some of you, this is the first time you have ever been early to church. And um, it feels good, doesn't it? It feels good to be early. You feel like just all of your life is, is right. And um, I have to tell you, because you got that extra hour, I'm expecting that you are going to respond, really going to lean in, going to, you know, clap, say amen, laugh at my jokes, whatever it is. But uh, it's not just a special Sunday because we've got an extra hour. It's special because we're beginning a brand new series of messages today called The Art of Being Blessable. The Art of Being Blessable. How many of you want God's blessing on your life? Can I just see your hands? Okay, I'm a little concerned that's not everybody in the room. To be honest. I don't know if you're like, is this a test? Is he going to call us out? Maybe, maybe you didn't raise your hand because you don't really know what God's blessing is. You're unsure if you want to. Or, or maybe... You're unsure if it's okay to want it, but I feel like it's not a trick question. How many of you would want God's blessing in your life? Can I just see your hands? Okay. You want God's blessing in your life. Well, we're going to talk about that today, and before I can tell you what this series is, I need to explain what this series isn't, because this series is not about reducing the goodness of God to a formula so that you can satisfy your lust. That's not what this, if that's what you're looking for, can I tell you, you, that, that's not a God that you serve. You're looking for a God that serves you. And that, that's manipulation. That, that's not what this is about. When I'm talking about the art of being blessable, I want to be clear. We're not talking about how to make God give you what you want. That's not even biblical. In fact, one of the reasons I wanted to call this series the art is because I wanted to stress that you cannot make faith a formula where you do X and you do Y and you're going to get Z. No. On the other hand, there are some things that I want to talk about in this series. And one of the things you have to know, one of the things we can see clearly from reading full counsel of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, is that God is a good God. He is a good God. In fact, if, if you don't know that yet and you just commit to coming to church here, you are going to discover that God is a good God. It is one of the fundamental characteristics of his nature. His intentions are always good. His motives are always pure. His actions are always right. The outcome of his plans are always perfect. One thing is clear. God is a good God. And because we know God's a good God, and if you don't know that yet, I'm going to show you some things in our message today. What we're going to do in this series is learn how to position ourselves to receive from him. And we're going to do that through four key disciplines that we can all grow in, we can all develop in. Because just like faith is not a formula, I also want to tell you that blessings are not blasphemous. It's okay to be blessed. And we're going to find this out today in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28. So if you found your way there, we're going to get started. If you haven't, the words will be on the screen so you can follow along. It says this, Make sure you obey the Lord your God completely. Be careful to obey all his commands. I'm giving them to you today. If you do these things, the Lord will honor you more than all the other nations on the earth. 
if you obey the Lord your God, here are the blessings that will come to you and remain with you. You'll be blessed in the cities. You'll be blessed out in the country. Your children will be blessed. Your crops will be blessed. The young animals among your livestock will be blessed. That includes your calves and lambs. He just wants to specify that, doesn't want to leave that out. Your baskets and bread pans will be blessed. You'll be blessed no matter where you go. Enemies will rise up against you, but the Lord will help you win the battle over them. They will come at you from one direction, but they will run away from you in every direction. The Lord your God will bless your barns with plenty of grain and other food. He will bless everything you do. He'll bless you and the land he's giving you. How many of you think that sounds like a good God? That's a a good God. That no matter where you are, no matter where you go, no matter what you're doing, he is going to bless you. He is going to bless what you put your hand to. He is going to bless your children. He is going to bless your family. He is going to bless your industry. He's going to bless your career. He's going to bless your job. He's going to bless your resources. He's going to bless your relationships. All these blessings. But did you notice how it started? It all hinges on this word, if. And that's why the first discipline I want to talk to you about today is this. It's the art of obedience. We're talking about the art of being blessable. I want to talk to you about the art of obedience because of all the things we can do to put ourselves in a position to receive from God, to be blessable. Obedience is probably the most important and also requires the most effort. That's why I'm calling this message, for those of you taking notes and you like titles, I'm calling this message, The Work of Art. The Work of Art. And by the way, we charge you extra if you don't take notes with that pen we gave you. So (laughs) you might want to, you know, just a little pro tip. Hey, it's always my custom to pray before we get into God's word. So would you just bow your head with me and let's ask God's blessing on our time together. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that every time we open up your word, you speak. God, nobody needs to hear from me. We need to hear from you. We don't need my opinions. We need your perspective. So God, use me today. Only you can take this text and this one message and personalize it and individualize it to each person here. So God, I'm asking that you would do it again. Use me. I believe you will. Thank you for it. And everybody who agrees with that can say in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, how many of you have ever missed out? on something. Can I see your hands? Participation was not so good. You missed out on the first time I asked you to raise your hand, so every hand should be up. <laughs> you missed out on something. Let's see your hands. Missed out. Yeah. I've um, missed out on, on, on plenty of things. I don't know what maybe the thing is you missed out on. Maybe, uh, you know, some, some kind of opportunity. Maybe it was like an event, a party, uh, Justin Bieber concert. I don't know. You, somebody invited you to something and just circumstances, timing wasn't good, you didn't end up going to it, and then hindsight, like, man, I wish I, wish I would have been there. I wish I would have been at, at that moment, been there for them. It could be uh, like some kind of investment deal. Maybe somebody brings, brings an opportunity your way, hey, you should buy this you know, piece of real estate, or you should you know, invest in Dogecoin or whatever. They brought something to you, and, and just was not good timing, so you, you passed on it. Could be a relationship. Maybe, you know, there was somebody that was interested in you and just for you, you, you didn't, weren't, wasn't reciprocated and then time goes by and you're like, man, I really, I missed, missed that one. 
all these different things we must stop. For me, it was a jacket. Um, I hate to reduce, like, you know, the great things in life to clothing, but it, this was like, for me, it was a jacket. It was on our honeymoon, and um, we were... We were in Fort Lauderdale. We, we were, you know, having a great time. We were uh, walking through, like, one of these little streets with some shops. And there was this one, like, little boutique shop that we went into. And it had this incredible, like, maybe one of the most incredible jackets I've ever seen. Uh, this incredible Italian leather jacket. And it was, like, different colors. And it was, like, kind of sewn together, like, all this patchwork. And it was, like, brown and, and white. And it was normally, like, a 1000 bucks, But it was, like, discounted clearance out. Because, like, who's going to wear a leather jacket in Florida? I don't know. So it was $180, and to Marissa's credit, like, she encouraged me to buy it. She's like, you should get it, but she's always been the spender in our relationship, and, you know, I'm trying to, like, you know, establish good principles uh, early. We're just married, and so I was like, no, you know, there'll, there'll be other jackets uh, in my life, and I didn't get it, and uh, I, just, I missed out. I've never seen something like that, and that's why I always buy something when I want it now. I just, I'm not going to miss out again. <laughs> But, um, you know, we, we, we pass on opportunities, and I, I think lots of times we, we pass on opportunities because we don't understand the value of them in the moment. And maybe that's why some of you didn't raise your hand when I said, how many would like God's blessing on your life? Because maybe, maybe you don't really understand what the blessing of God is. And so I want to begin by defining it, because the first thing you need to understand is that blessing is not a bad word. Blessing is not a bad word. Blessing is a Bible word. It's not a bad thing to be blessed. You shouldn't feel guilty for being blessed. You, you shouldn't be afraid of being blessed. You shouldn't avoid being blessed. Blessing is a widespread biblical precedent. Now, normally when we think of blessing, we see in the Bible, we, we think of it is this pronouncement of God's favor, and it definitely is. You know, we might say, like, hey, would you say a blessing over the meal, over the prayer? We might, you know, see or experience a blessing at a wedding, and definitely those things are involved. But I, I want you to understand that blessing is so much bigger than that. The, the blessing of God is God's beneficial and unmistakable hand upon your life. And when you look at Scripture, you see it in different manifestations. You see it as power. You see it as provision. You see it as peace. You, you see it as influence. You see it as increase. You see it as wholeness. You see it as healing. You see it as honor. All these different things. It's the blessing of God. It is a joy that is unmistakable, unexplainable, and inexpressible. It is a peace that passes all understanding. It is God's ability on you and in you to do what you could not do on your own. That is the blessing of God. Simply put, the blessing of God is the manifestation of his goodness. So when I ask how many of you want the blessing of God in your life, you shouldn't hesitate. You should dislocate your shoulder trying to get your hand up in the air because God's blessing is that good. Now, when I say that, please understand this doesn't mean that your life is going to be perfect. It doesn't mean they're not going to have problems. I hope you don't think that because I did not say that, and the Bible does not declare that. If anything, in this passage that we just read that lists out a number of God's blessings, you see it really clearly in verse 7. I'll read it to you in case you just missed it. 
Verse 7, it says, enemies will rise up against you. Does that sound like a perfect life? No, sounds like your life and my life. The blessing of God doesn't mean that nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. So, so don't walk away from this thinking that I'm saying that. In fact, I want you to read the rest of this verse. It says, enemies will rise up against you, but the Lord will help you win the battle over there. In other words, it doesn't mean that problems aren't going to come. It doesn't mean that you're not going to experience difficulty or trouble. It doesn't mean that bad things won't happen. It just means that when bad things happen, bad things won't get the best of you. I need you to understand that I would tell you it's actually impossible to really know the goodness of God without hard times, without difficult times. See, part of the blessing of God is peace in the midst of chaos, is comfort in the midst of pain, is strength in your weakness. That's God's blessing. So with a better picture now of what the blessing of God is, understand that blessing is a good thing. God's blessing is a good thing. I want you to understand that the real issue isn't, is God willing to bless you? The question is, are you blessable? I know it's a made-up word. I made it up. But are you blessable? Just, I haven't done this for a long time. Just turn to the person sitting next to you. Tell them, are you blessable? Are, are you blessable? I need you to understand, God is for you. He is not against you. God is predisposed to bless you. He is on your side. He is not withholding things from you. Jesus said this. He, he said, look, if you, not being God, and in comparison to God, not being good, if you know how to give good things to your children, how much more your heavenly Father, who is good, how much more will he give good things to those that ask him? If God has been represented to you as a tyrant, as somebody who is just standing up in heaven with his arms crossed, waiting for you to mess up so he can beat you down, so he can hold it against you, so he can punish you, can I tell you, that is not God. That, that's not who God is. God is a blesser, but are you blessable? That's the question that we want to answer in this series. And within our text, that's what Moses was wanting to address. See, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, Moses is reiterating the commandments, instructions, and promises of God given to the Israelites on Mount Sinai in Exodus. In fact, Deuteronomy literally means the second telling of the law. That's why if you read Exodus, you know, like January's coming up, you're going to go try your Bible in a year plan and you usually stop at Leviticus. But if you get through Exodus <laughs> to Deuteronomy, you'll be like, haven't I read this before? Yes, you actually have read it before because he's restating some of the things that he said in Exodus. The reason he's doing it because they had wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. They are just on the brink now of entering into the promised land. And before they enter into the promised land, God needs them to know, needs them to understand, and needs to remind them about his authority and the importance of obedience. So he reaffirms his promises that he made to them. He reminds them of his instruction when he brought them out of Egypt. And 
all the promises, all the instruction, all the commands that you read, if you've kind of grown up around church or been around church a little bit, you might have heard this referred to as the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant simply is the agreement and promise that God made to his people before Jesus came to earth and died on the cross. That's the Old Covenant. Now, of course, it was not the Old Covenant here. It's just the covenant. It's just God's promise and agreement to them. But what you need to understand about this covenant is this was not a covenant concerning salvation. All right. Salvation is unconditional, meaning it's all on God, M meaning you don't earn it, M meaning you're not saved because you're good. You're saved because God is good. And, and in the same fashion, he's talking to the Israelites. They were already chosen as God's people. And he has already brought them out of Egypt. So Egypt, it's this picture, it's this type, it's the symbol of the bondage of sin in our life. God brought the Israelites out of Egypt not because of anything they did, but because of his promise, because of his goodness. They didn't earn it. They didn't have to work for it. He did it all on his own. In the same way, God saved you all on his own. All you had to do was accept it. So this is not like a salvation covenant. God brought them out of Egypt, that hinged on God. But now that they're about to go into the promised land, in order to receive the blessings that he has for them, that hinges on them. And it's the same thing for you and for me. I need to stress, we're, we're not under the age of the old covenant here. Everything we have, we have through Jesus, by faith in Christ, through what he did on the cross, we're made in right standing with God. But some of the blessings that God has they are dependent on your participation. And the key is in these first two verses here. I want to read it to you. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1 and 2. He says, make sure you obey the Lord your God completely. Be careful to obey all his commands. I'm giving them to you today. If you do these things, the Lord will honor you more than all the other nations on the earth. If you obey the Lord your God, here are the blessings that will come to you and remain with you if you obey. In other words, this is not going to happen by default. It's not automatic. This is something that takes concentration, something that takes dedication. It is something that takes work. Obedience requires effort. And you see it implied in the text because he starts out, he says, Make sure. Make sure. That was kind of funny to me because I, that's like something I say to my kids. I'm like, hey, make sure you do your homework. Make sure you take out the trash. Make sure you clean your room. Make sure you get a shower before bed tonight. Kind of embarrassed to have to remind them of that, but make sure you do that. Same thing that God is saying here, but you know, when I say it to my kids, I'm not saying it to remind them about a blessing. It's usually more of a threat when I say it. Make sure. Do this or it is not going to go well with you. You know, in the same way, I think that's how most of us have heard the commandments and instructions of God. Make sure. Hey, do this. Don't do that. Make sure you don't cuss. Make sure you don't watch that. Make sure you don't lie or you are going to hell. 
make sure. But I want you to see this in the context of this passage. That's the way most of us think about obedience. Like there's, there's some things that we're not supposed to do, some things we are supposed to do, but if we, if we do the things we're not supposed to do or we don't do the things that we're supposed to do, we get in trouble with God. But look at this. See God's commandments in the context of this passage. Because he's not giving these commandments to put a burden on them. He's given these commandments to bless them. Here's what you need to know. First thing about obedience is that obedience is an invitation, not an obligation. Obedience is an invitation, not an obligation. Yes, it takes effort. Yes, many times it's not easy. Yes, often it'll even go against our natural preferences and inclinations. But when God asks you for obedience, I want you to see it as an invitation, not an obligation. He's not imposing rules on you. He's inviting you into relationship with him. Now, this is something every single person is going to understand immediately. You immediately know what I'm talking about. Because when I say he's inviting you into relationship with him, I promise you, you have experienced this before. Because there comes a point in every person's life, where after all of the dates, and after all of the conversations, and after all of the experiences you've had together, where you have to define the relationship. You, you have to define the relationship. That's what God is doing here. He's saying, hey, you, you, wanna, you wanna be in a relationship with me? After you've exhausted yourself with all the questions, thinking about, you know, are we dating? Are we exclusive? Are we just friends? Are we just hanging out? Are we just talking a lot? What is this? After all of that, God's wanting to define the relationship. He says, you want to be in a relationship with me? Well, let me, let me explain this to you. When I give an instruction, obedience. If you want to be in a relationship with me, this is what the relationship looks like. Oh, and by the way, there's all of these benefits. Problem is, a lot of us want the benefits without the boundaries. There's actually another term for that kind of relationship. That's, that's not what this is. That's why we get obedience wrong. Because we want all the good stuff. We want all the benefits without the boundaries. Opportunities, we want opportunities. Opportunities are kind of interesting. Because <laughs> I've noticed, like, opportunities usually don't look like opportunities. Opportunities usually look like obedience. You think about David and Goliath. David, Goliath, I use that story because, like, everybody kind of knows that story. It's kind of the famous quintessential story of the Bible. And it's like this moment that catapults David into a whole other echelon. Like, it puts him on the sphere where everybody knows his name. Up until this point, David is relatively unknown. Up until this point, David is so insignificant that his father doesn't even think he's worth bringing in when the prophet comes down. The prophet would have been a big deal, comes in his house, like, I'll just leave David out. David's a nobody, but David and Goliath, this story, this moment, this is the moment that changes everything. I think sometimes we can have this thought, I wish... 
I wish I had an opportunity like that to really, really show my faith in God, really, really show people. I wish I had that kind of opportunity. But you know, for David, this didn't look like an opportunity. It, it looked like obedience. If you read the story, the only reason he's on the battle line in the first place is because his father gave him an instruction to go take some food to his brothers who were on the battle line. The whole reason he has this opportunity is because he was obedient to his father. Didn't look like an opportunity. It looked like obedience. And you might think, man, I wish I had a better opportunity. But there's no opportunity without obedience. So I want you to see obedience as an invitation, not an obligation. Just like it's an invitation into relationship with him, I also need you to understand that God's blessings don't come as you seek them. God's blessings come as you seek him. As you seek him. Look, it's not wrong to be blessed. It's not bad to be blessed. But I would tell you it's wrong to chase after the blessings. The, the problem with chasing after blessings is that they are a byproduct, not the base point. When all you're doing is seeking influence, seeking increase, seeking platform, seeking provision, seeking power, seeking protection. When all you're doing is seeking the blessing, seek after that stuff, that'll drive you mad. It'll drive you crazy. There's actually an entire book in the Bible dedicated to this guy who sought the blessings of God with the absence of relationship from God. It's called Ecclesiastes. You read through the whole book, this is what he said. He says it's like chasing after the wind. You're on after it, but you can't catch it. You try to grab hold of it, but you can't hold it. it, it it's, it's futile. That's why God has a better way. It's not seeking them, it's seeking him. Let me show you in verse 2. He says, if you obey the Lord your God, here are the blessings that will come to you and remain with you. See, when you see God, blessings come your way. You don't have to chase after them. They will chase you down. They will find where you're at. They will run down to find you. I want to spend a little time here because I think sometimes, even though we're well-meaning, we can miscommunicate the real value of obedience. Because lots of times when we talk about God's instructions and talk about living for God and the things he said in his word, we do it like this. We, we do it talking about the benefits. We say, hey, you should do this because it'll be good for you. You should do this because it will benefit you. You should do this because it will bless your life. Your life will be better if you do this. Now, I don't think that's wrong. Honestly, I think it's smart. I think it is good to tell people about the benefits David himself said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. There are benefits to serving God. It is not bad to think about the benefits and to know the benefits and to talk about the benefits. All that's good. All that's true. The problem is when we start there. Because if we start with, well, what's in it for me, then you'll stop when it gets difficult for you. 
You know, we can tell you like all the benefits about being part of community, about committing to the weekend, about being in a group. It's good to do that, but honestly, the reason you should do it is because it's God's will for you. It's God's plan for you. It's because he declared and decreed the value of it. He says, this is what I want. See, that there has to be something deeper than just what's in it for me when it comes to obedience. Because blessings always follow obedience. That's true. But that can't be the objective for why we obey. Because many times, I just notice God's instructions don't always look like a benefit. Sometimes God's instructions look inconvenient. Sometimes God's commands sound more like suffering than they do success. Sometimes being obedient to what God has said is not always the thing that I want to do. Where God will say, hey, I know that what they did to you was evil. I know it wasn't your fault, and you're not responsible for it. And I know that they're unaware of how they've hurt you and is the furthest thing from their mind. And if they had the opportunity, they would do it again. I still want you to forgive them. That doesn't bless my soul. You know, sometimes God's instructions sound like, hey, I I know you got that job offer that pays more, is more flexible hours, and is the thing that you always wanted. But I actually want you to stay where you're at. I want you to stay where you're at because there's still some pride in your heart that you haven't dealt with. And I know you feel like nobody values you where you are, but that's actually good for you because you're too stuck on yourself and not about my purposes yet. So I need you to stay where you're at because I can't give you the things that I want to give you until we deal with this pride issue. Uh, Sometimes God's instructions don't sound like a benefit. And if your whole reason is what's in it for me, you'll stop when it gets difficult for you. You need something deeper. You need something bigger than God's going to bless you for it. Here's what I would tell you, and here's the reason. Blessings are what God can do for you, but obedience is what you can do for God. Have you ever thought about what you can do for God? There's not a lot that you can do for God, really, if you think about it. I mean, he's creator of heaven and earth, created everything. There's nothing you can give him that he needs. He's all-sufficient, all-powerful. There's nothing you can do for him that he couldn't do for himself. There's not a lot that you can do for God. There's not a lot that you can give God. And I don't know, maybe this is on my mind because, you know, Christmas season is approaching and I'm kind of thinking about, you know, gifts and it's always a big deal, like for my wife, like her love language is gifts, gifts, and then more gifts. And um, so I'm just kind of always paying attention. In fact, I actually started this uh, a while back where I, uh, I, I always looking for a way, how, how can I serve her and, you know, do things for her that she's going to love and enjoy and appreciate beyond just gifts. And, um, so I started this, this thing a few years ago called the Marissa Manual, and uh, it's, it's a, a, like a running list of things I've learned. 
You know, it's kind of funny how, like, we don't get a manual in marriage, but I've learned that the reason we don't get a manual is because guys wouldn't read it anyway. So I'm kind of a, you know, hands-on learner. So I've been trying to, like, learn the stuff that she likes, you know, for years. And um, you would think it'd be, like, this thick by now, but it's really I write it in pencil because the moment I learn something, I have to erase it because it's different. <laughs> but, I, no, I've been studying her. I've been studying her and the stuff that she likes. She doesn't even know. I've got the code cracked on. Like, there's some stuff that she doesn't even know. But it's the Marissa manual. If I ever die and she remarries, her next husband is going to start so much further ahead. Just bequeath this. But um, now the, the Marissa manual. What I'm saying is I always try and pay attention to the stuff that she likes. And I make note of it. What is the stuff that God likes? You know, you could call this series The Stuff God Likes. The Stuff God Likes. I, I mentioned love languages, which is kind of funny. I don't know that, you know, not like, you know, proponent of the science or that. But any, I'm just saying, like, the love languages, the, the idea is that we have different ways we give and receive love. It's like gifts and you know, acts of service and physical touch and words of affirmation and quality, all these different things, you know. Ever thought, like, what's, what's God's love language? I'll tell you. I'll tell you. God's love language is obedience. It's obedience. Let me show it to you. In 1 Samuel 15, God gave some very specific instructions to Saul. Saul was the king at the time. He followed God's instructions, but only partway, half-heartedly. And he thought, you know what? I didn't do it all the way, so I'll do something else that God likes. I'll, I'll give an offering. And Samuel, who was the prophet, spoke on behalf of God. This is what he said in 1 Samuel 15, 22. He says, what pleases the Lord more, burnt offerings and sacrifices or obedience? It's better to obey God than offer a sacrifice. It's better to listen to God than to give an offering. God loves obedience. The greatest gift you can give God is obedience. In fact, Later in the New Testament, you see Jesus pick up this same theme. I just want to quickly read some verses to you. Jesus said this in John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Verse 21, he says, he who knows my commands and obeys them, this is the person who loves me. Verse 23 and 24, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. One of the things about love languages, they say, is that lots of times you give love in the way you like to receive love. I thought this was interesting that Jesus said in verse 31, he says, I obey my Father so that everyone in the world might know that I love him. God's love language is obedience. Blessings are what God can do for you, but obedience is what you can do for God. And there is not a lot of stuff that you can do for God. Why should you obey? Not because there's something you can get, but because it's something that you can give. And just like my Marissa manual, I've learned that when I do the stuff that Marissa likes, she usually does the stuff that I like. 
man, when you do the stuff God likes, obedience, God's going to bless you. It'd be impossible for him not to. That's his nature. But it's hard work. It's the work of art.